0: Time now for the Business Angle with Justin Angle. Justin in studio uh, with us here. A couple questions for you before we get to anything I actually prompted you for. First of all, you're a a track guy. You appreciate track and field. Mm -hmm. Duncan Hamilton ran the fastest steeplechase time in the world on Friday at the NCAA West Regionals, eight sixteen. Wow. <laughs> wow is right. And, uh, you know, we keep thinking this kid can't do anything more, but the, uh, the Montana State star does it again. Uh, I did a triple take when I saw, when I watched the race and then realized, I double-checked the results and realized, not only did he win his race by 16 seconds, yeah. but he also ran the second fastest time in college track history and has the top time on the world leaderboard. Pretty good. I thought we were gonna. I thought you were gonna say you did a triple jump. <laughs>
1: but, um, <laughs> I don't even I know I can make it to, to I was the trying pit. To picture. That yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, so I'm not sure what the question is, other than just, I mean, it's just, yes, it's, it's, just it's, a, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, and to see you know, a kid from Montana doing that. It's just it goes to show you the talent can come from so many places, and in particular in an individual sport, you can you can outshine your team and be a part of a great program at the same time and um, achieve that level of success. I mean, you look at, you know, Olympic gold medalists and all these things across all these sports and they got to come from someplace.
0: They got to come from someplace. Why not here? It's totally true. Um, The other one I was going to ask you about, I just got done reading this great Jeff Perlman book, the last folk hero, all about Hmm. Bo Jackson. And uh, the question is, we were talking about this on the show on Friday the concept of a folk hero has become muddied, if not maybe non-existent, because, yeah. you know, you hear about anybody, any sort of phenomenon, and likely you can find a video of them on YouTube or on Twitter. So there's not necessarily like this this legend. You don't hear the, the sound of the stampede coming down the canyon yeah. from miles away anymore. Yeah. So what do you think of that concept and who do you have any folk heroes that, that resonate with you? Gosh, I mean,
1: the the folk hero in a way that resonates with me is a what if story, and that mm. is Steve Prefontaine. Right, right. I mean, he was a folk hero, a cultural sort of icon, and then it was taken from us so abruptly and so early in his in his running career. Yet he had already done so much, and For so sure. I think it, sort of an inverse concept to a folk hero is the sort of what could have been hero, right? And Bo Jackson maybe falls into that category because he was taken from us. And I say from us, like it was his loss. Sure, right. I lost right, a lot right. of his health. Um, although he's gone on to live a wonderful life. i watched the ESPN documentary. he sounds like he looks like he's pretty content in, <laughs> for in sure his, in his existence. But that said, like he captivated so many audiences and he had disappeared so quickly, um, particularly from football. He had a little slower bleed in baseball, but there's always been this what could have been.
0: And I think those stories are uh, of the same ilk as those folk hero stories. It's so funny the way that Bo Jackson's story, then he, he was sort of this this uh, legend all the way through his time in Auburn, yeah. and then he finally gets to be seen by the public, but then his popularity skyrocketed for nothing that he did on the field. It was yeah. everything because of his endorsements and the way that Nike marketed him. And then it became like this superhuman. And even after his football career was over, that coincided with the first ever football video game, Tecmo Bowl. And Bo Jackson was the only perfectly rated player in that game. And that just made him like this insane legend because he was the only guy that you couldn't tackle on the Tecmo Bowl. It's just amazing the way that the off the field stuff influenced it.
1: Yeah, and he was also doing things that we had not seen before, like running over Brian Bosworth or the running up the wall in the outfield um, after that catch.
0: And, and, I mean, breaking and the bat on his head. Breaking the bat on his head, <laughs> on his leg,
1: all of it. like All those things had not been seen before, and you couldn't see them on demand. That's right. It was like, oh, my God, I heard Bo Jackson did this crazy thing, and you had to contort yourself to figure out when it was during the day that you could watch SportsCenter uh-huh. and hope that they maybe play that highlight again. There was no YouTube. There was no Twitter. There's no TikTok. So the accessibility of these legendary moments was so much more limited and scarce. And so that feeds into it too. Like the number of people that say they were watching that game, much like Woodstock, probably far exceeded the actual number who
0: watched it. It's so true. The Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Want to find out how Blackfoot can help you and your small business? Visit goblackfoot.com. Justin Angle in studio here on Nuanas Now. I was also thinking about you when I was watching this new documentary on Jeanette Lee last night, the oh, Black man. Widow, the, the uh, all-time great pool player. Because, and you'll love this if you have a moment to watch it. It's only about 45 minutes long. But the parts that were interesting to me beyond her... Focus and her rise to stardom, and you know, I mean, most people out there probably couldn't name any pool player professionally, man or woman. And if you could name one, Lee. you probably named Jeanette Lee. That's <laughs> right. How did she become sort of this yeah. star that defined this one niche sport? But the part that was so interesting was how different TV was in the late '80s and early 1990s when ESPN first started. They were desperate for anything yeah. Yeah. and they were playing everything. And then as it expands, now all of a sudden you have ESPN two. Well, ESPN two was largely built on three things. Women's pool, yeah. the World Series of Poker, and Professional Bowling. Sure. Hardly any of those can even get a seat at the table now because now all the contracts ESPN just gets the NBA and you know, Major League Baseball and all that. But back then, most of those sports were relegated to the networks. So I just found it fascinating, just the the reasons why people glommed on to Jeanette Lee. She was not she was one of the best pool players, sure. but part of it was just her persona yeah. and how you could market that. And it's it's, it's just an interesting case study. And it's only 30 years ago, but it's crazy how different broadcasting sports used to be. Well, in some ways, it's come a little bit of full circle, right? Like in those early days of
1: ESPN and, and CNN and these sort of... Um, these cable networks with a very specific focus yeah they had surplus inventory that they had to fill right so you're seeing events and sports and coverage of things that you had never paid attention to before mm-hmm. and much like there was a ton of Atlanta Braves fans in right. the 80s and 90s because they were on TBS every night totally you've got this similar like interest in in pool and i think right now with the kind of Shake out in the streaming industry that we are seeing and or are about to see to a greater extent, yep. you again have like an excess of inventory and, and maybe not enough content to fill all of that inventory with high quality programming. So we'll sort of see. It's, it's sort of, I feel like we're the on the other end of the curve that that early moment of ESPN2 maybe foreshadowed.
0: It's so interesting to me too. I wonder how... Cause it's this double-edged sword, right? If you really love bowling or the World's Strongest Man or whatever, now you have an app where you can go watch it. Yeah. Yeah. But but how do you find out about that sort of stuff if it's not from just scrolling through the TV? Like, I'm not going to go seek out some new sport. I'm not going to just go watch Pickleball. But I totally knew who Jeanette Lee was from being a kid. Just. You know scroll on tv you're like oh wow here's something i can watch this pool and so i just i wonder if it eliminates or not eliminates but uh reduces the amount people can find out about uh just from casually watching television
1: yeah and i wonder too what the crossover between tiktok and <clears throat> television programming is in the sense that like TikTok's got this super powerful algorithm that serves you things you didn't even know you were interested in them until right. you got interested in them. Like I've, I've been watching these videos of this these people jumping rope Right. And I jump rope at my gym and I'm terrible at it. I'd really love to figure out how to do a double under without getting all tied up in knots. And I've been watching these people who make these crazy TikTok. I had no idea I was interested in watching people jump rope. Yeah. But maybe people who are exposed to that sort of thing that actually has more formalized content on an ESPN, on on some other network, then go search like, oh, it turns out I do like watching pool. I'm going to go look for pool on my cable provider.
0: Jeanette Lee versus it's new thirty for thirty. Go check it out if you uh, are so interested. It's not just about her prowess as a pool player; it's also about how she sort of rose to stardom, and how uh, the the other pool players didn't like her at all because she was sort of anointed uh, as the star, and how she just didn't care. <laughs> it's a it's a great like story of focus and perseverance. Justin Angle in studio with us, the business angle. Uh, common theme on this segment has been the uh, the creation of and then sort of the rise of the live tour and uh we wondered what would happen if a live guy won a a major well that happened since the last time you were in brooks kept did it and uh for all i know golf is not over as we thought it was i mean i don't know we were never predicting any sort of doomsday but there was sort of this thought that this would be a bad thing for the game but now it's happened i don't actually know if it is a bad thing for the game yeah, I wasn't convinced that it was a bad thing for the game.
1: Uh, I was th- thinking it might be a bad thing for the PGA Tour and their sort of power to limit players' mobility between the two tours. Um, the thought kind of occurs to me now is like, does any fan of the game actually care what tour a player is associated with, right. whether it's Live or PGA or you know, Joe's House of Style tour. I, you know, who knows, totally. right? It's just who's winning uh, at the majors. Right. And there's a handful of other events, sub-majors that, that capture, like the Waste Management Open or whatever it's called, that capture the, the, the public in a similar way. But does anybody really care if Bruce Kupka is a live player and what that means? And it's easy for us to kind of um, talk a lot about the... Sort of business implications of these two tours and, and whatnot, but does it matter to a uh, to an to a casual fan or even a passionate fan? I'm not so sure.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think that if you if you know about the live tour and all the controversies associated with it, and then you still choose to watch live golfers in yeah. major championships or otherwise, then you are consciously stating that you don't really care, right? I mean, I I guess what I'm saying is the people that do care about this are just not going to watch it. Totally. There's all kinds of moral
1: compromises. And, you know, if you care Mm. about concussions and bad behavior that players engage in, then you'd really probably stop watching football. Does anybody really stop watching football because of those reasons? Uh, I care about those things and um, I don't watch as much football, but it's not going to make me turn off the super bowl and so that's a moral compromise on me or a moral inconsistency that's within me and i think it to the extent that anybody even thinks of these issues it doesn't appear to be driving their consumption choices in any meaningful way
0: the i had a thought now because we've been talking about sort of the uh, the evolution of of sports fans that don't just love one or two sports. Sports fans like me who love all of the yeah. different sports, but only have a certain amount of brain space and time to consume all of these different sports, right? Yeah. So for me, yeah, I'm gonna watch the NFL regular season pretty much always. I'm gonna watch the NFL from start to finish pretty much. Every week I'm gonna watch at least a little bit of NFL. Part of that's just when the games are. You know, Sunday night is easier to tune in than any other night. You don't feel as guilty for you know, watching the tube. I'm gonna watch the NBA playoffs. I'm gonna watch all the major championships for golf. We we'll watch some of the World Series and some of the Stanley Cup Finals, and then maybe you know some of the premier tennis finals. I was thinking, could you make a streaming app for just that? And if, if that is uh, is that a million dollar idea, or or would that be way too hard with all the contract negotiations that it would take? I mean, it's certainly a doable thing. Yeah. The question
1: is, is it in the interest of all the parties involved yeah. to create such a product? Because does the creation of that product undermine their product in other spaces? I mean, we've talked in this segment often about like, does the NBA regular season even matter? You know, there's all this load management happening. Right. And it's just each individual game.
0: I mean, the Heat the Heat were basically a 500 team that mailed it in for all of January and February. and yeah. Now they're in the finals.
1: Yeah, and, and the Lakers, <laughs> like, same thing. I mean, like the they, Lakers
0: didn't start actually playing until mid-March, and then they made it to the conference finals.
1: And, and were kind of compelling characters during that playoff run. Um, so if you were to package this kind of... Uh, for for lack of a better term, just calling it like games of consequence. Sure. Right? Sure. Like I might want to buy that, but by doing that, that means I am decidedly not going to pay for the other stuff. It's sort of the same dynamic that occurred with the cable bundle. Mm. Right? Like we wanted to disaggregate the cable bundle. We didn't want, we wanted to just pay for ESPN only and I didn't want like, you know, the history channel and the value network and all this other stuff that they'd kind of package in and I had to buy the whole package just to get the one I wanted. We've disaggregated that bundle and now we're finding that with streaming some of the same things occur like there's something on disney plus that i want to watch and there's something on hbo whatever their new brand is max that i want to watch and so now all of a sudden i've got all these different memberships and there's not one thing that offers all the things i want Um, so i think there's some industry dynamics at play that would limit the feasibility of that because it's it's ultimately not in the interest of both the streaming, you know, the entity that puts it together and offers it, and the entities that own the content and the entities that produce the content.
0: It is it is fascinating because you're right. It would be like an announcement of the of themselves, sort of demeaning their own product. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why would you? You know, when you've got this like series of assets, some of which make money and some of which don't. Yeah, it's tempting to sort of charge a price for only the ones that people are interested in. But as a result, you kind of limit your ability to capture share in those other places.
0: You want us now, the business angle, the overlay between business and sports. Justin Angle in studio with us uh, here on your radio dial. You can always stream the show as well on the ESPN MT app and 1029ESPN.com. Uh, speaking of the NBA, it's it's hilarious to study sort of the history of the NBA and how often the right players and right teams made it to the championship, whether that's a coincidence or not. The NBA went through this crazy rise from basically a league that was completely obscure in the 40s, 50s, 60s, yep. and 70s to then one of the premier sports leagues in the country in the 80s and 90s to now, I think, alone in the number two spot behind the NFL in, in sort of American sports interest. Uh, but for the first time in a really, really, really long time, we have a finals for, you know, hardcore basketball fans that are that's awesome, the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. But I don't know really what... Uh, what it means for the larger NBA because you have one of the most unassuming superstars in, in sports in Nikola Jokic for the, the Nuggets. And then you have sort of this underdog story in Jimmy Butler, which I love, but I just don't really know how many people are glommed onto that. And nowhere to be found is LeBron James or Luka Doncic or any of these other guys. What do you think the NBA thinks of this Finals?
1: Well, I mean, I think in the short-term view, they probably wanted Lakers-Celtics. Well, for sure. Or, you know, some other just big marquee matchup. Uh, and they didn't get that right, and so you know when you're dealing with uncertainty in a business, you got to quickly pivot to maximizing what you have. And, and one way to look at this is, you know, Miami's a big media market. Florida is a bit of a, you know, success story as far as like people wanting to live there, people sure. wanting to have business there, um, and so they can sort of buy into that piece. There's also this cultural piece that is that is resonant with Miami. And Denver is maybe a missed opportunity that the NBA could capitalize on. Mm -hmm. They've got this superstar who is just an amazing talent that maybe not a lot of people have gotten exposure to. I mean, some of the... I I haven't seen as much of his game as I've been able to see during this run. And just some of the highlights are like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like, I'd never heard of him sort of during this uh, this, this, um, this couple MVP runs other than a few highlights. But now you're seeing it... For real, And it's like, wow, this guy is by far the best player in the league. And that allows the NBA and the parties surrounding it to start telling stories about this person. Now, is he a captivating enough character to kind of hold that audience, to command the space he occupies on the basketball court? We'll have to see how it plays out. But there is an opportunity for the NBA to pivot and to to sort of propel the Nuggets as a small market team, but also this emerging or this superstar who has emerged on the court into one who captivates the popular culture.
0: He's such a, a uh, example of what it takes to build a superstar or lack thereof because he's unquestionably one of the best players on the planet and he has been for three years. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be one of the best players on the planet is way far down the checklist when it comes to making NBA superstars, right? Yeah. Your your brand, your, your swagger, what you look like is a part of it. I mean, you yeah. and I have talked about this a lot. Part of why Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson became so famous yeah, was their smile and, and how good looking they were. You know, so there's a lot that goes into it. I just find it fascinating that being exceptionally good at basketball and having no drama around you and not talking hardly at all to anybody makes it so that you're like way down the list in the NBA. But ironically also has it you have your your team in the NBA finals. Yeah, I mean, we'll see
1: how that plays out. The guy has some charisma. Like, no, he definitely does. He does the way he interacts with
0: teammates, with the media. He's, with he's the also fans. getting a higher level of exposure now too, because the thing where he was stuck was they lost in the early in the playoffs, his yeah. two MVP years. Now, as the playoffs keep going and more people are watching more and more, I, it helps a lot. So we'll see how it plays out. Like that exchange
1: he had with the Suns owner after the little dust yep, up, totally. And then the next day, kind of you know greeting him on the practice court. I mean, that showed like a combination of kind of charisma, class, and instinct for how to behave in the moment when the spotlight is on that I think few stars have. Like a lot of these stars just sort of cultivate drama for the sake of drama, right? This guy seems to have some intuitions that um, indicate that he, he might be able to rise to the occasion.
0: Last thing on the NBA, David Stern was uh, so the former commissioner of the NBA. He was so steadfast in his belief that superstars were the key to the NBA's yeah. success. And that's why it's such a superstar-driven league. Mm-hmm. Adam Silver has been very, uh, very opposite of that. He thinks that the key to success in the NBA is competitive balance. And that's why you see there's as many far-flung superstars as we've ever seen. I mean, there's you know if there's 20 superstars in the league very few of them are playing together they're all over the place every big market has one even small markets have yeah. them and you uh, you do see the competitive balance uh, just in terms of the regular season standings a little bit more even which one's going to weigh out here is it i guess the question is is it foolish for adam silver to go away from the model that david stern used for you know 2 3 decades it's hard to
1: separate you know these commissioners are so different on so many dimensions sure i mean david stern kind of played this authoritarian yep you know protect the brand at all costs um do not accept criticism do not accept anyone questioning your motives sort of persona adam silver seems like much more of a you know, a person who kind of runs this, the, the, the organization by consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's the kind of persona that they throw off, right? And so you have to kind of add that into the equation when you're evaluating this competitive parity versus superstars. I think there's more space for more superstars now. So it might not be a question of either or maybe there's a middle path here because there are so many superstars you can spread them around in more yeah. markets and yep. as a result you do have this number of stars there's a number of there you know with social media and all these other platforms they can reach their audiences but that spread of the superstars throughout the league can have can offer competitive parity there's still the super teams out there, though. No, for sure. And they haven't worked. I mean, they sort of worked a little bit in Golden State, although they already had something going pretty good there before for sure. Durant showed up. Didn't work in uh, in Brooklyn. Um, and, and I think that's an open question as to whether that works. And, and maybe that's there and is sort of tied to this concept of having so many superstars that, you know, are these guys really superstars or are they just getting max contracts and have a big following and shoe deal do superstars even exist anymore?
0: Right, right. It, it, I think that that's also, you don't, when you, the NBA hitched its wagon to Michael Jordan at such a profound level. That then when he did step away from the game for two years, it was this enormous moment where it's like, can the NBA make it through this? Right. Even though there was all sorts of great players, the NBA had just deified Jordan almost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then they tried to redo that multiple times in the late 90s and they could never find anybody. Then LeBron James sort of took that torch. You know, how often are you gonna get a Michael Jordan? How often are you gonna get a LeBron James? What if there's not another of either of those guys? I do think it makes the future a little bit more clear because you don't have to burden one person. You can sort of have a lot of guys carrying the torch for the league.
1: Yeah, from a business standpoint, I think, you know, set aside some of the positioning of the brand that we've talked about in this series before that I that I don't think has been as savvy, but from a from a business standpoint, what Silver's doing in, in diversifying the spread of talent across a larger group of teams and having, you know, a multiple superstars instead of, uh, you know, one or two supernovas. That's a more sound strategy from some standpoints for the longer term stability, of the organization, the go all in on the Michael Jordan of the world. I mean, that, that is a strategy that can have explosive growth but it's not really reproducible without right. another Michael Jordan. You can't just sit, or, you can't run a business sort of assuming that somebody of that caliber will come around. Um, I think you have to have the savvy to be able to, you know, in, in the event that one of those sorts of people pops into your lap, you have to be able to capitalize it and, and shift your positioning and strategy around it
0: if that's appropriate. So so much of it is just a moment in time as well. You're never going to have the dream team again. Michael Jordan was not only the best, he was also the first. The first guy with a custom-made shoe. The first guy with his commercials. The first guy spreading the global brand. So a lot of it is uh, time and place as well. Justin Angle here uh, on on is Now, the Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Thanks for coming in, man. Good to see you.
1: Thank you. Good to see you, too.